welcome to the Wilder Outdoors podcast, where you'll get the inspiration and information you need to have great outdoor adventures with your family. I'm Rob, your host. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. On today's episode, I have with me my friend, Mitch Vars. Now, normally I try to invite someone on with a very specific goal, right? Um, Typically, they have a specialty or they've had a really you know, specific cool experience. Um, Mitch is a little bit different. Mitch is a friend that I know from our workout group. And, you know, I have interests that aren't always, uh, we'll say common, right? I, I love to forage. Um, I love hunting and fishing. Uh, I love all things outdoors. And I actually happen to be uh, an applied statistician by, by training and by profession. And Mitch is the only person in my life who I ever give a little bit of information to about these sort of obscure things in my life. And he immediately will share way more information than I even knew was available. Uh, Mitch is just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to um, sports, the outdoors, the sciences, I mean, pretty much anything. And Mitch will amaze me and you with his knowledge. And so I just wanted to have a conversation with him. Um, you know, and he also happens to be a really great father and has done some really cool uh, trips in the outdoors with his son. And so we talk about that uh, a good bit on here as well. But, you know, for today's episode, I just candidly, I wanted to have a conversation with an interesting person and share it with you all. Uh, and there's there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there on the philosophies of parenting that Mitch has, um, a lot in there about how to get your kids in the outdoors, how to start doing things um, with them, and, and how to do it in a really meaningful way. And so um, I'm really excited to share this one with everyone. Uh, but before we start, you know, just a couple of housekeeping things. One, if you could please subscribe to this podcast, it would help me out a ton. And if at the end you like it, uh, please consider leaving it a good review. It helps me out. It helps get the word out about the podcast. It helps it uh, rise in the rankings. Uh, and finally, you know, if you do anything in the outdoors, especially with your kids, you know that safety is a concern, right? Safety is certainly a concern for me, and I've been doing this for a long time. And so one thing that I've put together is a free resource, uh, the essential gear that you should bring with you every time you head into the outdoors. And what that is, is a list of items that I bring with me every time I go into the outdoors, whether it's just by myself uh, or with my family. And I'll tell you, just in the last few years, I've been in some pretty scary situations, and I'm glad that I had the tools that I included in this resource with me, you know, and what that did is it helped keep a scary situation from turning into a bad situation. So I want to share that with you. It's totally free. Um, you can get that at www.wilderoutdooracademy.com slash safety. Again, that's wilderoutdooracademy.com slash safety. With that, we'll start the show. So, hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining me today. Uh, today, I have with me my friend Mitch Vars and you know, the title of this episode is, we'll say a little silly, uh, but it's very true. Mitch is one of the most interesting people I know. Uh, but more than that, he's a really excellent father and a very capable outdoorsman. And he brings those things together along with his many other talents and passions. And so I wanted to have him on today uh, to talk about it, you know, because what is a podcast if not a conversation with really interesting people that you respect? So um, Mitch, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Rob. So, um, you know, Mitch, I know a little bit about you, but tell, you know, tell our listeners about who you are, your background, um, and especially your experiences in the outdoors. Uh, 
who am I? I, I, uh, I live in Minneapolis and I've lived here, uh, uh, in the twin cities area all my life, uh, with some brief periods in other parts of the country, like New York and elsewhere. And, um, I've lived in Minneapolis proper since I went to college. I'm in my fifties now. So that's, uh, 30 plus years. Uh, I have, uh, one kid and one dog that you can hear whining in the background here. Um, my kid is a, a son. He's 15. Um, he's in his first year of high school and, um, I'm a, uh, I'm an exertionist. I'm a, I'm a, I've been an endurance sports enthusiast for most of my, uh, adult years. So I've done a lot of running, um, a lot of swimming, a lot of biking, a lot of cross country skiing and, um, that sort of outdoorsy stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, that's my story. (laughs) Well, and you're also very capable and very experienced in the outdoors too, right? Um, you know, Mitch is one of the few people I know who has shown up to our workout group with a canoe on top of his car because he was foraging for wild rice. So Mitch, like when did that, you know, that level of comfort that you have in the outdoors start? I, I've always had it. And I think that that's not that uncommon for young people. It's uncommon for uh, parents and adults maybe, but you know, kids play outside and as long as you don't do anything to get in the way of that, um, that's kind of your natural state. So I spent lots of time outdoors as a kid and, um, and that's just continued. Mm-hmm. And so do you think that that fed into your interest in any of the sports that you do? Um, you know, I got interested in the sports that I do when I was about 30, uh, prior to that in my twenties, I worked in like construction related jobs that, which were, uh, really physically demanding and kept me in good shape. So if you're, uh, loading trucks with lumber all day, uh, and doing physical labor, you don't really need to get much exercise outside of that was my experience. And then, um, I wanted to change what I was going to do. And I ended up at a desk looking at a screen and I really just felt like a caged animal and I needed to to change my lifestyle and start getting more involved in, um, things that would help me to burn some more calories and, and get some more exercise. And, um, that's when I got more involved in, um, athletics. Cool. So what was like, what was your entree into that world as an adult? Um, well, so I have done some things since I was very young, like I started cross country skiing when I was probably five years old or earlier. Um, my parents got me into it, but I didn't do it competitively or anything. I've never run a ski team. I never had any coaching of any kind. I never played team sports. I played soccer when I was very young, but I think by like fifth grade, um, I, I had quit. Uh, so, um, you know, it was really mostly individual things like bike, riding my bike and, and skiing and things like that. And when I got um, interested in it again in my 30s, um, my uh, my wife at the time was really into triathlon and got me into it. I did a lot of triathlon. Um, I did off-road triathlons, paddle, paddle races and things like that, um, a lot of running races. I just grew from there. So I did multiple marathons. Um, 
I did uh, more cross-country ski marathons than I can count. And, um, and I continue to do that stuff to this day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I'll, I'll speak to Mitch's experience. I mean, how many times have you done the Berkey? Um, 13 or 14. And for folks who may not be familiar, what, what is the Berkey? Uh, the Berkey is the biggest cross country ski race in North America. It's in Northern Wisconsin. And I think the main races draw about 10,000 skiers each year. It's, uh, depending on the technique, it's either 50 or 55 kilometers, which is a little over 30 miles. And that's typical of a long distance cross country ski race. There's a lot of 50 K races in the U S uh, but that's the one that has the most participants. Wow. And you said you started doing that later in life. How old were you when you did your first race? Um, probably about 35, I think. Wow. Um, late thirties. So now you said you were in really good shape before, but what was it like to learn, you know, sort of a new skill? Um, you know, the things that are attractive to me, like skiing and swimming, um, mountain biking, uh, one thing they all have in common is that they're probably more about technique, as much about technique as they are about, about strength or, you know, fitness level. So you can be really, really strong and be a really slow swimmer and waste a lot of energy to get from one end of the pool to the other. And the same is true of skiing. The same is true, um, of mountain biking. So, um, I guess I'm attracted to things that have uh, a lengthy learning curve and I can continue to work at. Mm -hmm. So like, how did you start? Did you seek out a coach or did you just say, I'm just going to start doing this? I just started doing it and I've had some ski coaching. Um, and, uh, and some coaching in, in other types of fitness, you know, but for the most part, it's pretty self-taught. You know, there's, there's such a wealth of, of information online that like our parents' generation didn't have access to. If you wanted to learn how to cross country ski in the seventies and eighties, when I grew up, you could get a book from the library. That was about your only option, unless you could find a local club and get some instruction. And now it's everywhere. And, you know, you can probably listen to a podcast about it. You know, full disclosure, I tried to do that with fitness and weight training. And then Tom came over to my garage one day. Tom is our, our common friend who, uh, who helps train us in the morning. And he saw what a mess I was <laughs> in terms of technique and just not getting anywhere. And he still gives me a hard time, but I think him, uh, him coming over and giving me feedback was the beginning of my journey towards, um, you know, his, his in-person coaching. Uh, but you know, Mitch, you're very good at doing research, right? Like that's, that is a gift of yours. And so like, what resources did you go to, to start learning how to ski? I was in a couple of, uh, local, um, clubs. So one through gear West and one through Fincy Sioux, which are local ski shops. And most of the local ski shops and, and, and uh, the folks at the Lopit foundation up at Worth park, um, they have adult ski clubs where, uh, they will have a group that skis together for the season. And there's usually like a handful of coaches that will um, give you some advice. So I did that for a couple of years. Um, beyond that, um, 
nothing really other than skiing with, with, uh, friends and, um, you know, watching videos on YouTube and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so like, I mean, I think what I really appreciate about your story is that like at some point you were a beginner, you know, and you're, you're very comfortable with that. Um, and then at some point you were, were not a beginner, right? Like you've, you've done a lot of really incredible things, um, in terms of, you know, competitive athletics, but what was like, what was your first race and what was that like? Race of any kind. <laughs> sure. Uh, uh, the first race that I, uh, you know, registered for was a 10 K at Nurstrand Big Woods State Park, uh, which takes place in the fall. And, um, I was about 30 years old and, um, I had been running for a few years consistently before that, but I'd never signed up for a race. It never even occurred to me to do that. I didn't have any interest in it. And a friend of mine talked me into it because he was going down there to run that race. And so I did it. I had, had a good time and, um, start. So I guess, you know, started from there and then I'd done lots of other types of events since then. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like going back to what you said, everybody's a beginner at, when they start at something. And um, there's all kinds of, of sporting events that you can participate in. And even if you've never done it before in your life, you're not going to be anywhere near the least experienced person there. Um, it's highly unlikely. Go watch a marathon. You know, there's a lot of people in the five to six hour group that... Um, are going to be um, at a place where they probably, you know, many of them maybe are in over their heads and, and maybe shouldn't be running a marathon just yet. But because of the wide open nature of all of these types of things, um, it's not for professional athletes. And um, and even the level of amateurism is um, lower than you would expect. So generally, I think all of these types of events are very welcoming and anybody can participate and you don't need to have um a, a guru who has some sort of like, you know, wizardly shamanistic information that they're going to share with you to get you up to speed, just show up and do it and you'll be fine. And, you know, if you like, if you have a good time, if you like it, then continue doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, you know, that, that segues into, you know, the conversation we'd, we'd have about, you know, how you've done this as a father, because, um, I think I did my first trail run. It was like a 5k, maybe two years ago and your son was in the race with us and he actually lapped me <laughs> at one point. Um, but like you've done a really good job of bringing your son into a lot of the things that you're really passionate about. Right. And so was he born when you started racing? Um, he was born when I was 39. So, uh, I had been doing it for, 10 years prior to that. Got it. So, so you weren't learning like while you were, you weren't learning to be a dad while you were learning, um, you know, all these skills, but you know, so you had like 10 years, right? That's a, that's a long time to build up some skills and a portfolio. Um, but I, I know, and I think, you know, a lot of folks who have kids know that when you drop kids in the middle of your life, um, a lot changes. So what was that like? in terms of having a kid and, and then figuring out what life looked like, especially in terms of your, your, uh, you know, racing and other outdoor pursuits. 
Well, that was a big concern for both me and his mother. And uh, how are we going to continue to do the things that we like to do and um, manage the, the parenting at the same time? And the the answer to that is quite simply just bring them along. So we would uh, go biking and put them on the handlebars or, or in a seat behind us um, and a lot of that was just transportation related. So taking him to daycare and so forth was always done on a bike, um, summer and winter and skiing. We had a bike trailer that you could put skis on and we would pull them. And I had a lot of friends that did that. And we all agreed that we got much faster on skis once we started pulling kids because <laughs> it's hard. Um, it's, it's pretty easy on flat ground, but as soon as you get to the smallest hills, it gets a lot more difficult. And, you know, many of the events that I was competing in, uh, there's an option for kids and you can't be too young. So, you know, as a, as a two-year-old, I think I had him, um, you know, running in like the quarter mile race or things like that. And that's the, uh, you know, if there's any advice I can give to parents about getting their kids um, out of the house and doing things in the outdoors and being active, it's just don't get in their way. Um, if you, um, if you want to get your kids interested in these kinds of things, then first of all, be doing it yourself, because if you're trying to get them to do things that you're not doing, then you're, you're a hypocrite. Um, so get out and, um, find some events to participate in and have the kids watch or bring them along and, and have them do it with you. And eventually they'll take an interest in it and it'll just become normal. And if you, if you normalize that kind of behavior, then that's the, the, the way that you're most likely to get them interested and involved in it and have them make it a lifelong habit. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, my wife and I are, are starting to experience that with our kids. And one of the things that's helped us, um, and I should say for context, like my, my wife, Michelle is, is very athletic. She, you know, was a professional ballet dancer for over a decade before we had kids and she's now transitioned out of that. Um, I was a tuba player (laughs) for most of my life, which, you know, did not lend itself necessarily to being athletic, at least in and of itself. Um, and so it's been a journey for me, you know, to, to sort of explore what it means to be athletic. Um, but wanting to be healthy for my kids, but also to model those things for my kids has been a huge motivation and having folks like you, Mitch, or like Tom and Steph around, um, to be a part of a community that we can bring our kids to and along with, um, that same race where your son lapped me was also, um, uh, our oldest son's first race. I think they do like a little, I don't even know. It's, it's certainly not a 5k, but you know, the little mud run thing that they do before. Yeah. It's like less than one. Yeah. K. So, you know, our, our oldest son did that and that was maybe, you know, a year and a half ago, something like that. And he was, you know, very much Michael, if you listen to this in a million years, you know, when you're finally listening to podcasts, I'm sorry, but, um, he was, he was very slow. <laughs> um, he was definitely the last kid out and I ran with him. Um, but he was so, you know, just, um, like he was very insecure about it too, even though I tried my hardest to, to get him to be comfortable. Um, but 
you know, he's been around it a lot now. He sees his mom, he sees his dad, he sees his neighbors and his friends exercising. And today, like just today, he ran a mile and a half um, with Michelle and the kids and Tom and Steph and their kids to their school. So, you know, I, I'm seeing the benefits of that for sure. Um, you know, and, and you've certainly played a big part in that, Mitch, or at least, you know, helped model what that can be, you know? And so I'm like, I'm curious when you were doing this with your son, did you have a community at that point of people that like you could look to, to model this as a parent? Um, there's a lot of examples of this and, uh, I feel like they're, they're real, they've become relatively unknown. So in the, in the 1970s, during what they call the first running craze, when running really became a popular pastime in the U S there were never any age requirements for marathons. And there were lots of kids. And by kids, I mean like 10 and under that ran in all the major marathons in the big cities. So the New York city marathon instituted an age requirement of, I think 16 years old in the early eighties. And prior to that, about 75 kids, um, like 12 and under had finished it. And many of them ran faster than I've ever completed a marathon in my life. Like there were, there's a kid named Wesley Paul and Wesley Paul set a number of records as an eight and nine year old. And, um, he was a Chinese American. His parents had, had immigrated from Taiwan and he became this huge celebrity in Taiwan. In fact, there was a children's book published about him. That's called Wesley Paul marathon runner. And it tells the story of this kid who would, get home from school every day and eat some milk and cookies and then go out on a 10 mile training run. And he ran a sub three hour marathon in, in New York as a nine year old. Um, so now virtually every marathon in the country has a minimum of at least 16 and probably 18. And I'm not advocating for parents to try to get their kids to go out and run marathons. It's probably not a great idea, but there isn't any, um, th- there isn't any real conclusive medical research to say that they shouldn't, that, that, that you know, the world's going to end or they're going to get horribly disfigured or, or injured. Um, so there's no age that's too young to get kids started. Um, you talked about your oldest running in that race. And my question is, why didn't the others run? Um, there was a kid in that race that ran the adult race, which was four miles, um, between four and five miles. And he was five. And he did just fine. He was last, but he's five years old. So, you know, it's not surprising. And um, I, usually when I've talked to other parents about this, they say, well, they're just not ready for that. And it's not just running or, or athletics. It's things like overnight camps and things like that. And from my experience, it's not the kid that's not ready. It's the parents that aren't ready. And the parents are, um, you know, it's natural to want to protect and and comfort our children, but I don't know that it's necessarily the greatest thing for the, for the children. Um, they need to be challenged. And, um, like I said earlier, uh, that kind of struggle needs to be normalized if you want them to do these things and, um, and to become more resilient. And in order to do that, you've got to give them, you've got to be the logistics person and find opportunities for them to challenge themselves because they don't have the access. They don't have the resources that us adults have to, find out where these opportunities are at. And so it's up to us to uh, try to point them in the right direction. Man, that's, that's such a good point, right? Cause I mean, you talk about 
resources, like who's, who's the first resource for anything for a kid, right? But the parent. So, you know, you've, you've highlighted sort of your journey, um, you know, and, and we talked about, you know, when your son was younger, you know, what I'm really, like, really impressed by um, is not only how you've, you know, kept him along, but how you guys do, like, really big things together. So, you know, I know earlier this summer, you guys biked from the Twin Cities to Duluth, uh, just you and him. You know, tell us a little bit more about that. Um, well, that was, uh, so this was in, it was in the third week of July, which was the, probably the hottest week of the summer, um, poor planning on both our parts, but it was just the only time that it would fit into the calendar. And that was entirely his idea. Uh, we've done a lot of biking in the past, but never long distance stuff. Um, and he just said probably like sometime last spring, uh, we should ride our bikes to Duluth. And I was like, all right, I'll figure out how to do it. And cause I know that it, it's something that people in the twin cities do. It's a, a established route and, you know, surprise, there's lots of people who have blogs and podcasts and whatnot that talk about how they rode their bike to Duluth. And so we looked for a spot on the calendar where we could fit it in over the summer and I made some motel reservations and then we were committed. And so there was a bunch of uh, preparation in terms of like trying to get out and do longer rides on the weekends and things like that, uh, which we were probably about 80% successful in, um, in carrying out. I don't think that like we got to the point where we were ready to go and he wasn't maybe as prepared as I would have liked him to be but he was prepared enough. And uh, so it was a two day thing. We rode 90 miles the first day and 70 miles the second day um, in close to hundred degree temperatures, um, which made it hard. It was challenging. And it meant that um, I had to do a lot more than I otherwise would have to um, manage the heat and um, water supplies and things like that. But um, at the end uh, he said he would do it again, which is always uh, the sign of, of a successful adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, uh, you know, I, I've tried to, uh, get him to make decisions as much as possible rather than saying, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. Um, I want him to decide what it is he wants to do and what kind of goals he wants to set for himself. And, um, so that's a, that's a good example of that. And, um, the same is true for like the upcoming ski season. I say, what races do you want to do? And do you want to do the long version or the short version and things like that and, and leave it up to him to choose. That's awesome. So now, like, as I hear you talk about that, right. I, I think of, um, I mean, I think of a lot of things and a lot of challenges, but I think, um, there's, there's something specifically that I think highlights one of the, the, the obstacles I would see, right. Which is, uh, we'll sort of paint it in terms of, of homeschooling, but there's a movement called unschooling, right. And the idea is you just kind of let your kids choose what they want to learn. Um, and I'm in some Facebook groups, uh, of unschoolers and, you know, there are a lot of folks doing great things, but there are a lot of parents who are like, you know, so I'm giving this a shot and my kid just wants to play Minecraft for 14 hours a day. Um, you know, like I totally get the idea of, of having your kid lead the well, learning. How, how did you avoid that trap of letting him lead into things that maybe were less productive? 
you know, you can say, um, what do you want to have for dinner? And the kid might say, I want to have birthday cake or, or I want to have, um, macaroni and cheese and don't give them those options. You know, say, what do you want to have for dinner out of these five things that are all things that you would like them to eat and let them choose. And, um, they're still having to, uh, wrestle with making decisions for themselves, but the, the possible choices are, are limited to things that, that are going to be good for them. And, you know, I didn't have to do that with riding my bike, with riding our bikes to Duluth. I could have suggested that we ride our bikes someplace else, I guess, but, um, it, it was entirely, um, it, it came entirely from him. It was his idea. Um, I, uh, in the upcoming ski season, there's a lot of events that I'm going to do. I'm going to do the Birkbeiner. I'm going to do some other long distance, um, races. And I usually just say, Hey, you know, I'm going to do this. Are you going to do it? And more often than not, he's going to come along because he wants to do these things too. And it didn't start out that way. It started out with the the quarter mile kids race as a three-year-old, um, just like you did with your son. And then I would go and, and I, and I might have, run that with him. And then I would go and do the longer one and he would be on the sidelines watching. And, um, now he's at a point where he's able to do most of these things with me. Unfortunately, he's not able to run a marathon yet because it's not going to happen until he's 18, I guess. Why, why not until he's 18? They won't, it's not allowed. You can't, you can't really? enter. Um, and in ski racing, the, the, the rules are, um, quite a bit more flexible. Like he can't do the Birkenbeiner until he's 16, I think. So one more year, or I guess it'll be two more years. Cause it wouldn't, it would, it would be the 2025 season. Uh, but he can do the Cordelope, which is 29 K. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that there were like, so many restrictions on age for participation, um, especially for how many things they try to get kids involved in at the, you know, the smaller races. Um, well, for the shorter distances, you know, there's, op- there's opportunities for kids to, to participate at Twin Cities Marathon on that weekend in the 5k and 10k and probably 10 mile, I don't know, depending on their age, but not in the full distance race. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's good reason for that. Cause like I said, you you can go and, and, be a spectator and watch. And there are, there are plenty of adults who probably have no business um, trying to run that distance because they're not adequately prepared for it. Uh, and the same would be true with kids. And there's also some risk that there are parents out there who are going to be pushing their kids to do things that they don't want to do. And that's always a concern. Uh, it's a concern in, in coaching. So, uh, I coach skiing in the winter and, um, I know that that's something that comes up often. Uh, do we want to allow kids to do these long distance events when maybe the kids aren't nearly as into the idea as their parents are? And, um, that's why I say like parents need to get out of the way of their kids. And if the kids show an interest in doing these things, then do what you can to support them, handle the logistics, handle the transportation, do whatever it takes to to let them, um, succeed, but don't push them to do things that, that they don't want to do, um, if they're not ready for it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, you know, you, you raise a really interesting point and challenge, <clears throat> you know, with all of these stories sort of coming together. Um, and, and I think 
it's it's sort of the role that you play as a parent in these big adventures, right? And I think, you know, with the bike race or not the bike race, sorry, the the bike trip to Duluth, you know, you had mentioned you know, you, because it was so hot, now you had to manage resource consumption and you had to manage, I'm sure, rest and things like that. So you went beyond a scheduler at that point, right? Um, you know, what, what was that like in terms of making sure that, you know, not only was your kid having, you know, hopefully a good experience, but that they were safe and, and capable throughout? That was a challenge. Um, you know, when you're, uh, if you're going to ride your bike 90 miles, on a day when it's 100 degrees out, uh, drinking water isn't really enough, and the risk of heat exhaustion is is um, something you have to think about. And uh, a uh, 14, 15 year old doesn't necessarily know uh, how, how to manage that, how to handle it. So, you know, I really had to force them to drink, and to uh, um, we had electrolytes in our drink bottles and. Um, and to make sure that he didn't fall behind on it. Uh, um, sun exposure is, is always a, a hassle with my kid. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a cumulative thing. And if you're going to spend a lot of time in the outdoors, you got to protect yourself. Um, the sun's every bit as dangerous in the wintertime as it is in the summertime. And, uh, that's really hard to get across to kids in my experience. You know, they think that like, well, if it's hot out, I'll, put on some sunscreen, but if it's not hot, I don't have to worry about it because I won't get burnt. And that's just not how it works. So, um, yeah, there's some, there's some precautions that you have to, um, be aware of to take for your kids. Um, uh, concussion is a factor in a lot of these things. And so like mountain biking in particular. So if you're out doing these things with your kids or even on your own, um, you should know something about concussion protocols and, how to deal with bumps on the head because um, they can they can set you back or or like you know cause significant damage if uh, you don't treat them correctly and there's a good likelihood that you're going to come across something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, you know, I think what I'm what I'm really impressed by is the fact that you know all of this, right? Like you are you are able to sort of shepherd him through this very difficult experience because you knew what to do, right? Like I, I could see a situation where (laughs) the parent might be getting carried out by the kid. Um, you know, if, if they don't, you know, quite know what to do. And, and I think this comes up with a lot of my work in the outdoors too, is I have, um, we've got some very, very close friends who, you know, by their own judgment, like they are city people, and they are the most amazing city people you'll ever meet. Um, but their kids have just started to read like some novels about, you know, people who go out into the woods and survive off the land. And now their kids have in their head that they're going to go out into the woods and survive off the land. And, you know, I think the parents are wise to, to say like, Hey, well, we don't really know a ton about this and they're seeking out resources, um, you know, through, through me and through others. But I think there is sort of this real, hang up for folks whose kids might be really adventurous, right? Their kids might have this great idea, um, but the parents aren't prepared yet to steward them through that process, you know? So what, I guess, what would, what would you say to someone who's in a situation where maybe their kid wants to do a really wild bike adventure and they just don't have the skills to lead it well, where, where should they start? What should they do? 
Um, I would say, first of all, uh, don't be afraid. <laughs> and uh, uh, there's lots of, uh, there's all kinds of scaremongering and, and survival porn available for you on the internet. And um, it mostly has to do with marketing. Uh, if you go to REI and ask them, what do I need? Believe me, they're going to tell you that you need a lot of stuff and they're going to try to sell you like, all kinds of things. And you probably don't need any of them. Um, uh, the, uh, the things that I, I think uh, you need to take into account in terms of uh, safety for your kids. We've already talked about sun exposure. Um, that's, that's a big one. And you don't have to be involved in endurance sports or other types of athletics for that to be an issue. Um, the number one thing is, is, is that everybody should know how to swim, whether you're an adult or, or you have kids, if you have kids, get them in swimming lessons, um, swimming lessons start at six months old. This goes back to the parents aren't ready, but the kids are ready. Um, my kid was in the pool when he was six months and one day at his first swimming lesson and he knew how to swim before, you know, pretty, pretty well before he was probably five. Um, that's the thing that kills the most people. If there's, there's really good statistics from the national parks on this. I don't know that there are from, uh, other places, but in terms of like the outdoors, um, national parks draw a lot of people and there are deaths in national parks and far and away. The thing that causes the most deaths in national parks is drowning. And, um, in Minnesota, the thing in the outdoors that causes the most deaths are drowning and boating accidents. Um, after that, it's probably heat and cold. So, um, which which we've already touched on, uh, heat exhaustion uh, and heat stroke, and then hypothermia. And um, uh, it doesn't have to be below zero for hypothermia to be an issue. If it's if it's in the forties or fifties and you're wet and you don't have a way to get warm, or if you're sw- swimming in cold water, uh, your body temp can drop pretty quickly. Um, so all that stuff is relatively simple. Uh, you can find uh, all the information that you need with a simple Google search, and you don't have to be uh, a doctor or a PhD to understand any of it. Um, so if your kids want to do something, if they want to, even if they have big ideas about, about an adventure in the outdoors, um, do what you can to support it and uh, let them be their own guides. Don't, don't try uh, as much as possible. Don't try to uh, hijack their their project. Um, let them like explore their own ideas, and and you just be the logistics person, and make sure that you're there to to um, help out if there's anything that they need to keep them safe. Um, it's not too much to ask. I love it. So now, Mitch, before we go, I'd be I I would regret not asking you more about your relationship with wild foods. So just, just as a bit of background, like I, I have some weird hobbies. I think they're weird or maybe not weird, but less common hobbies. And one of them is foraging, uh, for wild mushrooms. And we were having a conversation one morning, uh, and everyone was kind of giving me a hard time that I wouldn't give up my one morel spot. And, and Mitch was like the only person that got it, but not only did Mitch get it, he followed it up with, no, give them your chanterelle spot because the season's longer and they're more common, right? And like the fact that you would know that, Mitch, in addition to all of the other things that you know, <laughs> um, really stood out. And like I mentioned before, like I, 
I know that you, you know, you forage for wild rice. Uh, as a younger man, I know that you, you know, would, uh, would hunt with your family occasionally. How did that whole relationship start the relationship with wild foods? Um, my, uh, my father was into hunting, you know, deer hunting and duck hunting and things like that and fishing and, and all those types of things. And so when I was probably about 10, uh, he took me ricing and it wasn't, uh, it, I, I don't think that it was so that I could have some like, you know, enlightening experience in the outdoors or anything. I was just labor and, and ricing is really labor intensive. Um, you need two people to, uh, run a boat and we had two canoes. So it was, uh, my dad and my two brothers and we had two boats and we would get up at, I don't know, two or three o'clock in the morning and he'd load us into the pickup truck and we'd drive way up North because, uh, you had to be on the water when the sun came up at six and then you were allowed to work until noon and then we'd drive home. Uh, and so we always had to supply wild rice. He was interested in other wild foods. He made maple syrup by tapping the trees in our yard and so forth. And I grew up in the suburbs. I didn't grow up like in the Rocky mountains or something. I grew up in a twin city suburb. Um, but we had lots of wild game. Like I've eaten all kinds of animals that nobody would think you'd want to eat, you know, um, raccoon, muskrat, squirrels, things like that. Uh, and my brothers were both very interested in hunting. I never took to it. Um, I'm, I'm a vegan. I, I, I think, um, I have, I have qualms about hunting and, uh, so it's not something that I do now. And it's not something that I've uh, done with my son. Um, as far as the foraging stuff, um, I got interested in wild mushrooms because I had a friend who had a restaurant and said that she would buy them. <laughs> and it seemed to me like an easy way to make some money. And, you know, it was, it, it's like dealing drugs. Like you pick up money off the ground. And, um, and so I would spend weekends in, Northern Minnesota picking mushrooms and bring them back to the cities and sell them to a bunch of restaurants. Uh, at a time when you were able to do that without now you need a, you need a permit, you need to have some certification to do it. But, uh, there still are a lot of people who are doing it in the Twin Cities. Um, other, uh, I don't know. I have, I have a vegetable garden and I grow a lot of food for myself and I've just always been interested in, uh, in plants and, and uh, both vegetables and flowers and things like that. And um, kind of a, been a hobby of mine. <laughs> well, and, you know, just so folks know, it's not just a hobby. Like you you win ribbons at the state fair for, for your vegetables. What what ribbons did you win this year? Um, I won the largest onion and the longest carrot. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I want to I <laughs> add a disclaimer here. I, I won because I entered. I, I didn't win. I didn't win because it's a because it's a challenging competition. Uh, the uh, uh, and I've won um, probably a couple dozen ribbons for vegetables at the state fair. But if you go to the state fair and you go and you look at the vegetable exhibit, um, just walk through there. If you if you're growing things in your garden, walk through there and you're probably going to come across something and go like, well, I could have won that because my eggplant looks better than that eggplant or whatever. And you're exactly right. And the next year you should go and you should enter your eggplant and you'll get a ribbon. That's awesome. Do you get anything else other than a ribbon? Well, I got a combined uh, winning 
winnings of $20 for my two uh, first place ribbons. So there's, there's very small prize money for most things um, between like five and $10. Oh, those are, those are well-earned five and $10. I was going to say that's gas money, you know, <laughs> maybe to the fair one way, probably not admission though. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it didn't cover the cost of the ticket. No. Well, that's awesome. Well, Mitch, you know, thank you so much. Uh, this has been really great, and I'm I'm really excited to share this conversation with folks. Thank you.